from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Suzanne Higgins. Since it's Friday, we have our reporters look back and look ahead. Tonight with me, Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News and Phil Kapler of the, West, of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Welcome both of you, thanks for being Thank here. Hi. Well, we are halfway through the session. Cue the music. <laughs> um, how are we, <laughs> there you go. A little late, but that's okay, we'll take it. Um, Let's, let's talk about the progress, the pace, the productivity um, halfway through compared to other sessions that you've covered. Phil, we'll start with you. Well, this is an interesting session in that it seems like one bill is sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Obviously, the omnibus education bill and uh, was at the uh, West Virginia Pros Press Association uh, legislative breakfast, which I think they always have on the 30th day and uh, President Carmichael and Speaker Hanshaw had some decidedly different views. Uh, 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 President Carmichael, being the optimist he is, was, uh, remains convinced that the uh, omnibus education bill is in good shape and it's going to do great things. Speaker Hanshaw was a little more reflective and said, well, you know, we're, we're just starting to look at it needs a lot of work and he used an interesting word said is that it could be a good vehicle for uh, educational reform vehicle being a a catchphrase in the legislature that it's taking a bill and using it to arrive at maybe a completely different end so it's uh, like I say at the midpoint things are, are certainly up on in the air on that particular issue Brad, your thoughts, halfway through. Yeah, well, I mean, so halfway through, 30 days. I, I counted today, 16 we've been spending on this one omnibus education bill. It, it came out, uh, what, the 24th at debut of January. And now here we are, and it's still not completed the process in the House, uh, still on its first of two committee assignments. Then it's got to go to the House floor, and I think it's anyone's guess what happens with it in the House. It's been changing almost every day. I can feel this Friday compared to even Monday at the beginning of this week. Um, here on the Senate side, such a difference. Um, you know, after Monday's vote, it, there's real anger between the two parties after the af after going through the committee of the whole process 
Um, now it seems like all that stress has been transferred over to, to the House. And uh, we can see in some of the things that have been happening in the last couple of days, remarks on the floor, and we'll get to that in just a moment, that they're feeling the pressure now. Two parties, two very different perspectives on education reform. Let's go well, ahead. I was no, going to say, I think it was interesting at this legislative breakfast, uh, Senate Minority Leader Roman Prezioso really called out Governor Justice and said, where are you? This is a critical issue. We're, it's a divisive issue. We need some leadership and unity and basically said, called on him to come to the Capitol and, and take charge of this particular issue, which I don't think the governor's people have responded to he, that. He, he hasn't said, um, he hasn't sent out a, a press release on what has happened this week. Um, he hasn't had a, uh, a press conference. There was one press conference uh, early in the Senate process where the governor said, I want you to send my clean pay raise bill. It needs to be separated from everything else. And then when pressed, would you veto, would you veto, uh, the governor said, first said, well, I don't think it'll come to that because I don't think I'm going to get this omnibus bill in the first place. But then he said, yeah, I would. But that's the most recent instance we've heard from him. And Senator Preziosa made the point that he came in this one day uh, had the press conference uh, said uh, said this bill is a mess, and then in, in uh, Senator Prezioso's words, he went back to Greenbrier County. So that's the <laughs> obviously there's uh, 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 legislators who are unhappy that the governor hasn't taken more of a stand on this bill. And this bill has gone through a tremendous change uh, just from the beginning of this week, uh, where we had. Um, uh, charter schools statewide, non-severability, a, a lot of clauses that um, actually today, it, it, very, very different what the, what the House has, is considering. Brad, bring us up to speed on just the transformation in just the last couple mm. days. Yeah, the House has been doing a couple of things. One, trying to reduce the anxiety that you spoke of, both in its own body but with the public. Uh, but also trying to find the point where there's some consensus, even among the Republican majority caucus. Uh, so immediately what you saw was this controversial non-severability clause that would have tied the entire bill together, would have made it so that if one part was struck down, the whole thing would have gone down, including the pay raise. That was removed. Mm -hmm. uh, another contentious part of the bill, which was called paycheck protection, which meant that union members and teachers unions would have to, to make an, an effort annually to, to sign up to have the dues removed from their paycheck. Viewed as an anti-union move, that was removed. Uh, there have been a couple of charter schools uh, changes just in the last couple of days. At first there was a cap of six. Uh, at this moment there was just a, a two elementary school pilot program mm -hmm. proposed. One in Kanawha City, or in excuse County, me, Kanawha County, County and, Cabell. and Cabell. And that could even be changing as we speak because there are amendments going on in house education. And we mentioned the governor. He did say at the beginning when he did come out and say this is a mess and we need to, you know, clean up the food fight. Um, he's, he did go so far and he's always been adamant about being against charter mm -hmm. schools. He did say he could he could get behind a pilot program, and that's what you're describing. Yeah, that's what that's what they're headed toward, and uh, you know there have been some other changes too. But the other thing that has kind of eased the situation a little bit is uh, the acceptance of a public hearing, and now two public hearings on Monday for people who say 
who, who were saying, we haven't been heard, you haven't listened to us, now two public hearings. Let's, uh, let's listen to that, though. That happened this morning, what you're talking about. And um, at the beginning, the, the leadership pushed back. There was a motion by the Democrats to, um, to change the timing. The timing was set for Monday at 8 in the morning. And there was a motion this morning to change that to 5.30. So folks that have to travel several hours could get here for that. And there was some initial pushback. Let's take a listen to that. I would worry, too, that it could be confusing between what, uh, what has been out there originally and if we change the time now. I think it would not have been a terrible idea to do five instead of eight originally. I think it would be a terrible idea to try to shift it and change those times now. I would add that there, are, there uh, should be live streaming and uh, I wish the Eastern Panhandle were closer and more people could come down to uh, be here for that public hearing. But I think those who cannot make it, whether you're in the Eastern Panhandle or have a work commitment, hopefully they can tune in on live streaming. We have heard from teachers across this state that feel disrespected, that they weren't included uh, and their input wasn't heard on the drafting of Senate Bill 451. Now we're gonna have a public hearing for their input at a time they can't be here. Now, Mr. Speaker, a year ago, our teachers felt so disrespected that they listened in those galleries, they chanted in the hallways, and they rallied on the steps. And if we're not careful, Mr. Speaker, they're going to be back. You know, I, I, I don't know why we can't have a public hearing at 8 and at 1 at 5. Now, the gentleman from the 58th said the people from the Eastern Panhandle could watch on live stream. Now, I don't know how they're going to have their voices heard in a live stream. Uh, they'd have to come here to do that. And then Republican Delegate David Kelly of Tyler County suggested to amend the motion to um, actually change the, the 8 from 8 to 8.30 and to also add an additional 5.30. And so, and, and that was voted on, it passed, and now we have two right. meetings. The brilliance of the legislative process, it takes an hour of debate to reach the obvious conclusion <laughs> that we should have two public hearings. And, but, but I think it just underscores the, the democratic position that, the, that there has not been a sincere effort to get the input from all stakeholders. Yeah, it's, I mean, that was, that was certainly something people were concluding in the Senate. And, and there was a real difference in the people who were testifying in front of committees. Senate education had uh, national experts on charter schools, national experts on educational savings accounts, uh, but not particularly local people, not particularly uh, State Department of Education. It's been very different on the House side, and they took much of the week hearing almost from anybody who would come before them, uh, and a lot of time spent with the State Department of Education. Do you think, what, I mean, what is your sense, and I know we haven't gotten to the public hearings and there's a lot more deliberation on this yet to come next week, but um, is it your sense that there will be one single bill or will those salaries, uh, those pay raises be, um, you know, taken out, there'll be a, a clean bill for the salary, for the salary raise? What, what's, your, what's your take on what you're hearing over in the House? I think the situation could change as time goes on as we come nearer the end of the session. But I think there's real concern right now on the House side that if they send over a clean pay raise bill to the Senate, that the Senate could just amend everything or, or a lot of it back in. So there's some gamesmanship happening here. There's a whole lot that 
can can happen the, in the next. The, the ultimately, we could end up with a very contentious House Senate Conference Committee on this bill, whether and it will be a matter of whatever the House sends back, whether the Senate's going to stick to their guns and say we demand the original legislation with all the uh, sections that the teachers find onerous, uh, whether they'll fight for that or, or will recognize that the reality is they have to compromise. And, and what do we, have we heard about the, um, the, the deliberations of teachers, the groups that are meeting, the, the, the unions, Brad? What, uh, what do they say at the end of this week? Yeah, well, as you know, there were countywide mm -hmm. work authorization votes this week, which I would probably call a strike authorization, that, that the union leaders can then hold in abeyance and decide to activate when they think the moment is right or, or just wait, hold fire. But there's going to be tomorrow in Flatwoods, tomorrow afternoon, sort of a, a group gathering to tally those votes, um, come up with some strategy, and then announce to people like us, all right, here's what we're going to do. So on the one hand, things have calmed down a little bit on the House side. Uh, there's some tension relieved by now two public hearings, but there's also the situation building where the teachers unions are basically going to be cocked and ready. All right. want to pivot just a little bit. Some um, very angry accusations of uh, hate and discrimination this week in the House. And it stems from a government organization uh, a committee hearing on Wednesday. Uh, we have some remarks from um, uh, Delegate Sean Fluharty that uh, he made on the floor yesterday. But Brad, if we could just have a very quick um, summary of what really triggered this in the Wednesday meeting. Yeah, well, this was a meeting that you wouldn't have paid any attention to. This was uh, a bill that had to do with municipal boundaries. Uh, but there was an amendment proposed, and it, it really targeted these votes that have happened in municipalities across West Virginia, uh, where, where the municipalities have decided to add to their uh, human rights laws to say uh, we're going to, to be very accepting of, of uh, sexual preference, gender orientation, and, and this amendment would have essentially rendered all of those neutral. And, and a fight really broke out with a new delegate, Eric Porterfield, a Republican from Mercer County, uh, going probably above and beyond uh, in favor of this amendment and some of the new Democrats, uh, particularly the new ones, uh, becoming uh, offended, being uh, speaking up on behalf of, of gay rights and, and minorities. And then it spilled over onto the, the House floor the next day. A lot of emotion. It was a lot. There were several speakers. Let's take a listen to, again, Delegate Sean Fluharty. I heard stories about what took place in GovOrg yesterday. And this morning I had the opportunity to actually listen to the audio. And the gentleman from the 62nd stated that it wasn't about discrimination. I don't know. Maybe my ears were hearing things, but when I listened to the audio last night, I heard a member use the F word and not the one we normally think of. One that's used for hatred. One that's used to say you're different than I am. One that's used to keep people out of our state. So let's pass something important for people so they know they belong here, that we send a message to the rest of the country that we're not backwards, that we're not bigots. Let's do that for West Virginia. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
And so where, where is it left with us today, Brad? It's still, still a divide. Mm -hmm. This was on All Kinds Are Welcome Here Day at the legislature, so there was some uh, irony in that. Uh, Delegate Fluharty was trying to bring to the floor a separate bill that would have expanded West Virginia's Human Rights Act uh, to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, the majority shot that down. But then all of these emotions spilled out over perceptions of diversity in West Virginia. Uh, the Democratic Party called for Delegate Porterfield to resign. And as for Delegate Porterfield, he said he was happy about what happened. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So looking, um, looking ahead, what are we looking at uh, next week, Phil? Well, obviously, the education bill will continue to dominate. Uh, there's been talk in the... Uh, uh, actually both houses about the lack of funding for secondary roads in the state and I think we'll see some we have yet to see the governor's bill in which he wants to take some of the road bond money and d divert it to secondary roads so uh, imagine we'll be seeing that here shortly since we're getting not too far away from the end of uh, bill introduction time so that's one thing I'll be tracking. All right, and Brad, we'll see you at 8.30 at the public hearing on yep. Monday. Thank you both for joining me. Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News and Phil Kabler of the uh, uh, Charleston Gazette-Mail. Thank you both. Thank you. Since the unveiling of the education reform bill, several Senate Democrats have challenged the constitutionality of public charter schools. So West Virginia Public Broadcasting News Director Jesse Wright spoke to Joshua Weishart. He's an associate professor of law at WVU. Weishart also argues the charter school's provision in Senate Bill 451 is unconstitutional. So Josh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on the program, Jesse. So, you wrote an extensive blog post about the charter schools provision in Senate Bill 451. Um, can you give me sort of your main points and your argument that it is most likely unconstitutional? Sure. It's no secret that the charter provision in SB 451 uh, model legislation that was drafted by ALEC, which is a conservative-leaning organization, uh, that's not at all unusual or problematic maybe in other states, uh, but that template uh, did not, was not tailored to the West Virginia Constitution. Uh, on its face, SB 451, and even the House version, uh, committee version, uh, disregards Article 12, Section 10, uh, which requires a majority vote of, of, of uh, a majority voters uh, in a county to approve uh, the creation of any new independent free school district or organization. And the omnibus bill defines charter schools in a way that makes them free and independent school organizations. Uh, in fact, that's the whole point of a charter school, right? So that they would be free, yet independent from what their supporters perceive to be excessive regulations that are imposed on public schools. So if the legislature wants to create charter schools, it can do so provided that, again, the majority of voters in that county approve it. So that, that's your main argument. That's my um, main argument. The, the, the first one. What are your other two arguments? So the Jenny? second argument that I think uh, uh, is problematic on the face of this bill is that it disregards another provision of the Constitution, Article 12, Section 2, 
which vests the power to supervise public schools in the State Board of Education. Uh, now, under the, bar the charter school bill that's currently in, in its current form, uh, charters would be supervised by themselves primarily, uh, but also by their authorizers and, the, uh, and a public, a seven-member public charter school commission. So what's the problem with that? Two problems. Number one, there's a line of West Virginia Supreme Court precedent, um, including a unanimous 2017 case uh, that prohibits the legislature from interfering with the State Board of Education's supervision of public schools. Now, the public charter school commission is, would still fall under the uh, supervision of the State Board, but by my reading of that Supreme Court precedent, uh, that would still constitute interference. Uh, in fact, in the 2017 case, what the legislature did was effectively delegate uh, the, the authority to decide about cons uh, consolidation of schools to, um, to county boards of education. And the court said that that duty could not be delegated, that it was uh, the state board of education's power to do that. The second reason I think uh, that's problematic is because the West Virginia, the state of West Virginia, obligated itself in court proceedings in 1982 that it would implement a master plan for public education. Uh, now, this there's a long history here, but the short of it is this: 40 years ago, this month, uh, the West Virginia Supreme Court issued a landmark decision, Polly versus Kelly that recognized children's fundamental right to an adequate and equitable education. Uh, that decision, the Supreme Court eventually remanded that case back to a trial court, Judge Arthur Reck, and Judge Reck issued an order which would become known as simply the Reck decision, um, which would further spell out what an adequate and equitable education was. To resolve that case, the state agreed that it would develop and be bound by a master plan. Uh, well, the state never implemented that plan, and subsequent litigation uh, prompted the legislature in 1997 to enact a statute that Judge Reck decided that would implement the master plan finally. And Judge Reck decided it would, he would terminate the jurisdiction and let the state try to fulfill that. That statute also recognizes that it's the State Board of Education and the State Superintendent that has the authority to implement that master plan. So uh, this constitutional obligation to provide an adequate and equitable education and to supervise the implementation of that can't be delegated to non-constitutional actors, authorizers, or public school char charter commissions. And in what we've seen in, in other states where charter schools have been challenged and those constitutional challenges have been upheld, um, is that there are unique provisions in state constitutions, as in Colorado, for example, that would vest supervisory powers in state boards uh, of education that can't be usurped by the legislature. So that's another problem. The third problem uh, doesn't present itself on the face of the statute, uh, but it could be uh, a problematic depending on how these charter schools are implemented. So. The bill requires that county boards of education will um, pay 90% of their funding from levy taxes and uh, their state aid. Um, for each student that is enrolled in a charter school, they'll transfer that 90% right, to the yeah. charter schools. Um, the West Virginia Department of Education says that's going to drain public schools of funding. And here's why. Um, 
Traditional public schools have certain fixed costs, fixed operating costs that are unlikely to change if a small minority of, of their students decide to enroll in charter schools. The loss of those students um, to charters would not be significant enough to allow the, the school district to downsize teachers or staff, right? And, and anyway, they would we'd still have to pay the same cost to uh, keep the lights on, the heat on, the school buses running. All those costs are fixed for them. They're not fixed for the charter schools. Um, so for example, if, 10, if you have to send $10,000 per student to the charter school, um, and let's say there's 50 students in your county that want to enroll in that charter school, the school board would have to, or the school district would be operating with the same cost they had the year before, but with $50,000 less. Um, now, some counties would be able to absorb that loss of revenue because they could raise taxes, and this bill allows them to raise it at higher rates. But there are property poor and sparsely populated counties that would not be able to raise taxes to absorb those losses. That would create a disparity between counties and students. So the word that you mentioned before was equitable, and equitable. so that would interfere with that. That's right, because we have a fundamental right to education in this state entitles us to um, the highest degree of judicial scrutiny, meaning that the bill would be unconstitutional unless it was absolutely necessary to create charter schools to serve a compelling government interest. Now, um, whatever the commendable goals of charter schools are, you, it, it's, it's arguable that it would be necessary to create charter schools to achieve them, right? That the public schools cannot achieve those results. Moreover, um, I think the, the main problem is that um, these goals that are listed in the bill for charter schools do not outweigh the state's commitment to equality of educational opportunity for all children. Well, Josh, I really appreciate your time, and I thank you for joining us. Thank you again for having me. On Monday, coverage of those public hearings on the education bill, Senate, Bo Senate Bill 451, the correct times are 8 and 5.30. And then the House Education Chairman will join us for his thoughts on that testimony. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.